Turn with me first to Matthew chapter 9. <coughs> I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, in a few moments some of my, uh, my pictures and videos and thoughts on Ukraine, and none of that is, has had time to marinate. Um, we were in Ukraine last Tuesday, like five days ago, and I was able to put together some videos and things, but none of, that, none of it has been edited. Uh, you're going to hear wind sounds. You're going to hear the guy behind the camera saying, go ahead, you're on. And uh, you might even see some outtakes, some really ridiculous statements. Uh, no, that's not true. But it's, it's raw, but it will give you an idea of what's happening. But before we get there, I always like to start with the scripture and uh, what God has spoken. At the end of Matthew 9 is the passage that has kind of become uh, my life calling now, um, is, is to be part of what the Lord's doing in sending out laborers. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, I think King James says he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus looked on the multitudes of people and he was moved with compassion on them. You know, do you ever, do you ever see you're, you're sitting in traffic and instead of being moved to indignation or frustration, do you ever look at all of the cars and say, you know, all of these people are like people without a shepherd. They're, they're lost. Do you fly into a city and you're kind of looking out over the city? Maybe at night you see all these lights. You see a multitude and, and you're moved for them. Or you see a football stadium or basketball stadium. You just see masses of people. Does it strike you that these people are lost? Uh, Jesus would see multitudes and be moved to compassion for them. Uh, but what we're reading at the end of chapter 9 actually comes at the end of two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, that talk not only about multitudes, but about individuals. Jesus was moved with compassion towards multitudes, but I think even more so, Jesus was moved with compassion toward individuals. Okay, so if we go back to chapter 8, in context, Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, best sermon ever. Everybody is lining up to meet him, shake his hand, take his picture, have him sign their Bibles. This was a big moment. And then chapter 8 kind of starts in a startling way. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds, multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper said, uh, came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The man wasn't allowed to be there. You know, he's breaking all kinds of laws and etiquette. He was unclean, and, um, and he should have been far away. Jesus could have rebuked him. Jesus could have said, Peter, you know, take this man's number. Tell him to come back tomorrow. This is a big day. We're busy. That's not what Jesus did. He stretched out his hand and touched him, which is shocking. Leprosy doesn't infect Jesus. Jesus infects leprosy. Jesus is going to cleanse this man and heal him. So he stretches out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When we read in Scripture of Jesus' engagement with multitudes, we have him preaching to crowds. Uh, we talked about John 6, the people came when he fed them. 
And then when he taught, they fled, they left. But for the most part, we read in the New Testament of Jesus' engagement with individuals. You know, just name for me off the top of your head some of the individuals Jesus took time to meet with. Here we have a leper. Samaritan woman. So you have the, the Samaritan woman. She's an outcast among the Samaritans. If you're an outcast among the Samaritans, that's about as bad as it can get. And Jesus pursued her and would save her and use her to save an entire village. Woman taken in adultery. What else? Blind Bartimaeus. Everybody, you know, he, he's yelling. He's yelling. You know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds are saying, Shh, you're embarrassing us. You know, this is a, you have, you have a big parade going through Jericho. Jesus is walking by and Jesus stops everything again, like here. And he just focuses on the individual. All right. The man. Yeah, the, the man, the pool of Bethesda. So there's all these people, but Jesus is going to heal that one. We have, we have demoniacs. They're, they're crazy. They're out of their mind. Jesus engages them. Uh, we have Levi, who's a hated tax collector. We have Zacchaeus, who's an even more hated tax collector. And on and on and on. Jesus is so compassionate on individuals. In this passage, if we went through chapter 8, he's going to uh, heal, let's see, uh, the servant of a centurion. So a centurion's a Roman guard. He's hated. Jesus is going to heal his servant. Uh, verse 14, my Bible says Jesus heals many. Uh, Jesus went into Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law. Mother-in-laws are hated. I'm just joking. That was just, a, that was just humor. Uh, but he's going to heal a mother-in-law. I know you, you all have a great relationship here. It's a beautiful thing to say. But Jesus heals them and all kinds of other people with diseases. Uh, he is going to heal two demon-possessed men, beginning in verse 28. Uh, paralytic, beginning chapter 9. Uh, Levi, a hated tax collector, as we've said in chapter 9, verse 9, and on and on. Uh, you're going to have him uh, healing a girl, healing a woman with an issue of blood. There's all these problems, two blind men, somebody who's mute. And then after all that, Jesus sees the multitudes and has compassion. So Jesus has compassion on the multitudes, but the multitudes are comprised of individuals. And it's possible for us to get so enamored by the masses that we miss individuals. Masses of people are comprised of individuals. And most of the harvest that Jesus would see in his personal ministry was one-on-one, -on -one. you know, talking to the Samaritan woman or talking to Nicodemus. So as we talk tonight about needs, as we talk about missions in general, as we talk about Ukraine, um, you know, there, there are so many people in need, but you, you need to see the individual as well. Uh, there's a Chick-fil-A story. I'm obligated to give this illustration because I'm from Atlanta. There's a Chick-fil-A video, and it has people that are just in a restaurant, but it actually is very moving. It moves through the restaurant, and, and above everyone's face, it shows just a description. You know, this man is worried because his son was in the Persian Gulf, and this woman just learned that she has breast cancer, and this little girl lost her mother when she was... And, and it's just kind of striking. Learn the story behind the face. Learn what's happening to individuals and have compassion on specific needs. I imagine for Jesus, it must have been overwhelming. He knew everyone's story without having to ask. And, you know, when he's described as a man of sorrow who's acquainted with grief, or surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, the needs of people must have just been overwhelming to him because he knew them all. He cared so much.
You know, we read of him weeping. We read of him looking at Jerusalem and, and heaving with emotion. Uh, there are those who believe that God kind of can't grieve. God can't suffer emotionally. And, and they say, well, Jesus can because he was human. No, I actually think that Jesus, remember, Jesus was given to reveal the Father to us. When we see the grief of Jesus, I think we're seeing the heart of God. And he's so compassionate. You know, he doesn't chase people away. He calls them close. And in the middle of that, he, he, has, he has compassion on multitudes. He has compassion on the individuals that make up those multitudes. And then he says the solution is to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors. You know, he doesn't just say get busy. He says pray that God will send people. Jesus could have met all of those needs just with, with a thought. It was no challenge to him. But what he said is to pray for more labor. So, um, you know, my, my new ministry, I want to kind of hit again tonight, even before we look to Ukraine, is just, you know, the need is for more labors. And um, only Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, can send them. Only the Holy Spirit can, can compel people to ministry. Acts 20, 28, uh, the pastors are told to shepherd the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made them overseer. So, so God has to call people. But we should be praying that he will. And uh, Matthew 9 gives us another good example of that, Matthew 8 and 9. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my recent trip to Ukraine. And uh, I think we have, let's start with the PowerPoint. All right, and then we'll uh, transition. It's, it's going to be just uncut, unfiltered, you know, kind of messy tonight, but it's okay. Biblical ministries worldwide, um, for the most part, our history has been a normal uh, church planting, gospel preaching, disciple making mission. And that will always be our focus. But we recently, let's see if this is not working, not on try again. Got it. We recently have, um, have started a new part of the ministry that is called Compassion Medical. Now, when we say we want to do compassion ministries, if Christian ministries are digging wells, but not giving the gospel. That's not missions. You know, it can be relief work. It can, it can be, you know, benevolence. But we don't want to do what United Way can do or what the Red Cross can do. You know, if there is not the communication of the gospel, it's not missions. And, and we need to be committed to that today because there's so many people that are saying, you know, the, the main thing we need to do is, is dig wells, feed people, teach people, just improve their life. And, you know, you... You give someone clean water without giving them the water of life, they will uh, have their thirst quenched as they, as they run toward hell. Uh, that's, that's a very temporary solution. So we need to be giving the gospel. But there are places in the world that there is such intense suffering that part of that work is trying to relieve needs and, and trying to assist people as we can. I, I don't want to confuse, you know, Jesus healed, so we should, um, you know, do medical missions. We're not Jesus, and we can't do miracles. And, and many of his miracles weren't just out of compassion. It was a sign to show his deity. It was, it was different. But we should do good unto all as we have opportunity. So we have a new portion of our ministry that's focusing on that. And for example, um, during the Afghanistan crisis, when you had all of these people fleeing from the Taliban, uh, we have a new president of our mission, a guy named Andrew Bennell. 
He spent uh, several years in Russia. Because he was in Russia, he met uh, some people from Afghanistan, led them to the Lord, discipled them, trained them for ministry. They went back to Afghanistan. And now he's getting calls from Afghanistan, like, hey, we have Christians that need to get out of here. And we're being hunted by the Taliban. I'm telling you, I, I feel like I'm a fairly entrepreneurial thinker. And I would hear of people being stuck in Afghanistan and say, well, let's pray about that. But if, if the UN can't fix it, I can't fix it. Or if, if the government can't do something, I can't. But the Lord started putting these pieces together. And then, then we got to know, uh, got in contact with some people that, that actually had the means to evacuate people. By the time it was done, uh, the Lord allowed our organization to, um, to participate in the evacuation of 10,000 Afghans, many Christians and some not Christians, but we're trying to get them to a safe place. And um, it was a time in my life where I looked and said, that is, that, that's God. You know, there, there would have been no other explanation, but the Lord allowed us to be involved in that. And, and through that, there was evangelistic opportunities, people that came to Christ, seeds that were planted. <coughs> I felt like, well, that's, that's a once-in-a-generation uh, opportunity and need. The Lord allowed us to participate. Uh, now let's get back to business as usual. But now we're facing this, this new crisis in the Ukraine. And now this isn't working. Can you just advance that for me? If it doesn't work, I'll just kind of nod my head at you, wink, and uh, try again. There we go. Now we have this Ukraine crisis, and um, trying to get my head wrapped around the severity of this. The entire world is united in condemning the actions of the Russians. Um, everywhere, everywhere we went, uh, we would see blue and yellow lights on buildings. And you know, whether it was Germany or Poland, or, or uh, I spent some time in London, Wales, everybody is opposed to what Russia is doing, but, but not really leaning in too hard. And uh, my dad and I were just talking. I think there's a sense that uh, that Putin is is crazy enough that we don't want to push him to do something nuclear. And, you know, we, we're opposed, but maybe standing back a little bit. It's such a strange time. And um, in Europe, it, it reminds me, you know, not only kind of a revisiting, a, a revival potentially of the Cold War, uh, that we, you know, in our lifetime, many of us saw the Berlin welcome down. It was shocking. Um, but it actually reminded me of, of the invasion of Poland back in the late 30s. Like, like the world is, is changing. This is a threat. And, you know, maybe it's just Ukraine. But, but you get the sense that this could be the first domino to fall. And I'm not a military expert. I'm just saying this, this, is, this is a really interesting time. I think the world is kind of observing. And there's not a sense that everything is, is normal. This is a small conflict. It will be handled well. Um, this is kind of a frightening time. And, and the Lord is opening up opportunities for us to engage it again. Uh, BMW, also Compassion International. So we met first in Berlin. And uh, we met in Berlin because we have missionaries who are there. And it's kind of a staging place for us. So who do we know that, that is in that part of the world that can kind of help us, that has a network that we can use? And we have some faithful missionaries there. And then during our time there, we got to meet uh, with some other people as well. And 
I want to go ahead and show the first video. Again, you're, it might be hard to hear me. Uh, you're going to hear wind and you know it's, it's uncut. But go ahead and move to the video. And this kind of before we went at, the day before we went, uh, we meet in Berlin and just kind of get, get our ducks in a row a little bit. So let's go ahead and move to the video. Hopefully you can hear it well. So that that is kind of getting ready to go in. And it was surreal in a way because, you know, here we are at the Brandenburg Gate in, in Berlin. That's the place where you say, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And, um, you know, those of you who lived through the Cold War um, and then those of you who remember when the wall came down, now you get the sense that that it could be going back up and uh, reigniting. And it's, it's such a unique time because Ukraine is known kind of as the breadbasket of Europe. It's, it's a key place for, for feeding. And because all of the men are now taking up arms, you're, you're not having the normal you know, farming process. So there's, there's going to be hunger pangs that are felt not only in Europe, but even in Asia and Africa. But it's not only the breadbasket of the world physically, but it is among the, the, the strongest evangelical um, presences in that part of the world. It's, it's a breadbasket with the gospel. Um, I, I'm not meaning to overstate it. I'm not saying that all the people who are fleeing are Christians. But there is a stronger Christian presence in Ukraine than in other parts of that world. That, it, that you know, So much of that has kind of gone toward uh, atheism. And you, you understand, it's it's so sad. I'm, I'm in Poland, and I'm in Ukraine, and here they are nestled between Germany and Russia. And the 20th century, they, they, just, they just got abused perpetually. I talked to a lady in Warsaw, just said, you know, your, your people have been so resilient. Here you are just overrun by the Nazis, 
And then when the Nazis are defeated, you're overrun by the Russians. And you're so resilient. And she said, we don't want to be resilient. We just want to be left alone. We just want to raise our children in peace. It's such a sad part of the world in it, you know, throughout history. And now it's happening again. And it's not only that there are many Christians there. Christians are being persecuted there in, in an unusual way. Churches are being targeted. They're, they're not military sites. They're, you know, they, they have no military significance, but they're being targeted and bombed because part of this push isn't just a push for Russia to overthrow and control Ukraine. And some of the Russian rhetoric sounds like genocide. They, they just want to eliminate these people. But part of that is eliminating Christianity, which is considered kind of a Western religion. And, and communism has always been opposed to it. And you say, well, that's dead. I'm, I'm not sure it is. So you have, you have this, this push against the Ukrainians, but it's also a push against Christians. And you remember this morning we said that the church was gathered in Jerusalem and then through persecution was scattered. The apostles stayed, but others went. I think we have Christians who are scattering. And I think we, we certainly have Christian pastors who are staying. Many of the pastors are pacifists, but they're staying to try to take care of their flocks. And uh, it's just a unique time to evangelize these people who are fleeing, but also for the gospel to spread as Christians flee. So uh, just a few details of what we did. There's our team. Uh, most of our team... And we represent different uh, parts of BMW that are kind of laboring together in this. And then um, right in the middle, the man you can see is watch. That's our new president, Andrew Bennell, uh, really doing a good job. We drove by the Berlin Wall. There's portions of it that remain, and it's just kind of interesting that way. Now, we met with this group. This is a group of Russian-speaking Germans and they have a Bible Institute and um, Master Seminary. Um, John MacArthur, Master Seminary, has this global reach called TMAI, the Master's Academy International. And they're, they're teaching people seminary all over the world. This particular chapter has 900 graduates who have received theological training on preaching and pastoring and theology. And, and now they're scattered. Many of them are in Ukraine. So as we, as we look for a network, you know, the, the solution isn't for Americans to go and do what I did. I mean, it was, it was fascinating to see it. And I can come back and tell the story and, and, and try to drum up support. But there are Ukrainian Christians that are ministering to Ukrainian people. They need supplies. They need Bibles. They need tracts. They need literature. And there's a good network of them kind of in place. Now, it's getting more difficult as they have to scatter and it's, it's hard to get in touch with them. But this group has done a great job and they're really the ones that are kind of spearheading the aid. So we are benefiting from their experience and uh, from their unique relationships. So in some ways, we're teaming unofficially with them. Um, had other meetings with uh, here, uh, the lady in the middle, the blonde lady, she's, <coughs> she's the director of the Compassion uh, portion of the ministry, and uh, has a history in logistics and medicine. So she's talking here to a doctor about how can we get aid, how can we get prescription drugs to people who need it, and um, just doing some strategic work that is beyond 
my pay grade, it's outside of my specialization, but I'm glad that there are people that are doing it. So that gives you an idea of what we were doing um, there. And there's our team as we got ready. Uh, we took two vans, a trailer, and we get ready to head for the border. Now, go ahead and move to Poland. We went to this, basically a Sam's Club in Poland. I grew up in the 80s, you know, watching on the news like Lech, Lent, uh, Valenza and Poland was a place that was, you know, poverty stricken and difficult. And, and um, Poland is doing pretty well. We went to Warsaw to port, uh, purchase supplies and get ready to cross. So just quickly, I'll go through a number of pictures. Here we are. On the left is one of our board members, a man named Jeff Buckman. And, um, and he is really helping to drive this. Um, not only philosophically, but financially, uh, really been a blessing. And then we're getting, basically we're getting rice and, and noodles and canned goods and sugar and, um, and flour and just let's take as much as we can and get it in there. In the future, it, it needs to get more efficient. We don't need vans, we need trucks. You know, we, we don't need to be loading boxes, we need to be loading pallets. And uh, I think we're going to have opportunity to do better. But it, this was a beginning point. So we're gathering these things, these poor vehicles. You know, <laughs> by the time we finished loading it, I was afraid the wheels would be in the front. And uh, some of the bags opened. So now, you know, I, I, I laughed because some of the people would come out just covered with flour. And uh, at one point, just my sinister sense of humor, I said, are we sure we're transporting flour? Um, and, you know, not something that is more valuable. Uh, it was only flour, I assure you. But so we, we loaded all of that. And then we took off and, and <coughs> those who planned it very wisely put on there that we're doing humanitarian work. And um, now our drivers, it was, it was, you know, almost comical. They're weaving in and out of traffic. And instead of making people mad, people, Germans on the road would be like, you know, thank you for what you're doing. And it kind of gave us a get out of jail free card to uh, drive down the berm or whatever, get out of traffic. So um, we, we got to our destination. That's the one we got there at 4 a.m. So we have a hotel where we can rest and recoup to get ready to go into Ukraine. But because of uh, setbacks, challenges, um, probably some planning, we end up having... We, we arrived at our hotel at 4 a.m. Uh, okay, guys, rest up. We leave at 6. And, um, you know, as a younger man, that would have been okay. Now it wasn't so great. But uh, that's the way it was. We got ready to go into Ukraine. Initially, I thought that we would just be going to the border. And the idea of, of entering Ukraine um, sounded kind of frightening. We were staying, you know, far away from the front uh, near the Polish border. But the Lord gave us opportunity to actually deliver some of these things. And uh, here we are at a border crossing. You know, it looks very intimidating. I, I think it probably has always uh, been that way. But now you have all of these refugees that are leaving. And it, it's a picture that's hard to see, but there's a lady with two children taken by the hand. It's, co it's cold. And, and there's refugees that are leaving Ukraine, trying to get into Poland and then trying to get into Germany and several European countries are opening their arms to them. Poland has been so generous in this. And I think they just historically, they've lived this. And, and now they're very empathetic and welcoming people. You know, I, I heard somebody say, you know things are bad in your country when you're standing in line to get into Poland. Uh, well, 
Poland is the nearest neighbor and they're willing and welcoming. And um, But it, it was a sobering thing to see people that are in flight. And you almost exclusively saw women and children and older people, not not men, because they're they're at the front and um, they're being drafted, conscripted into service. And you think through what these people are going through, you know, and now there, there are camps that are set up on the Polish side of the border that are trying to just help uh, help refugees. And there's so many evangelistic opportunities there. Um, but you understand, it, it's not social gospel to try to help people in their need. You know, you go to a refugee camp where people are starving and if you're just giving out tracts, um, there's something that, that just seems a little bit callous about that. And um, to try to minister to their needs physically and spiritually. Didn't we study that in Third John? I pray that things are well with you physically and even more spiritually. Right? And, and that's kind of the idea here. So it was very, very sobering. We waited for a long time to get in. And when we did, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, again, we're so far away from Kiev and from, from the front line. They are ready. They are ready for war. We have very few pictures like this, but I'm, there, there are these barricades and it's, it's a war zone. We couldn't take many pictures. Oh, mercy. We got to one place. Let's see how much time I have. We got to one place and um, it was kind of a, the heart of the city, a, a big turnaround, you know, turnabout. And it was a full military operation. They're stopping cars. And uh, somebody in one of our vans, very understandably, is taking pictures. And now we get, now we get stopped. And you can imagine, if this is a military outpost and people are taking pictures, that, that's not okay. Um, I didn't mention to you that our new president and his wife are on the trip. And one reason that he's so able to lead this is for 10 years, they were missionaries in Russia. I did mention that. They were missionaries in Russia. So now these Ukrainian soldiers are opening our doors and talking to us. And, and I'm like, so, so what do you do? Do you just play stupid American? That's my vote. Be a stupid American. Or do you speak to them in Russian, which seems like a really bad idea to me. You know, we're taking pictures and now we're speaking to you in Russian. Um, so I'm like, just, just act like you don't understand. And um, they chose to speak in Russian and explain themselves. And eventually we had, we had a Ukrainian, um, kind of a, you know, Ukrainian um, enforcer. You know, he, he, he was a tough guy. And uh, he came to our aid. And at different points we called him uh, Rambo and uh, Chuck Norris. And his actual name is Bogdan. And he's not a believer. We need to pray for him. I'll try to show you a picture of him. But he came running back and he's talking to these to these soldiers, they're all young because the more seasoned people are at the front and he's talking to them and he's you know, telling them we're stupid Americans. And then, and then he can't speak English, but he, he speaks to our van urgently, you know, like he solved the problem, but he says like photos are massive problem. No, no. And then he goes, <laughs> I was like, okay, everybody, Please put your cameras down. <laughs> eat, eat your phone. You know, throw it out the window. Just stop taking pictures. So we don't have many pictures of, of what's actually happening in there because it was, it was um, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, so, but that sort of thing, you know, that, that's just on the side of the road, not in a particularly important place. They're bracing for war. And 
I think they're surprising everyone, especially Russia, with the resistance they're putting up. And, you know, Russia actually had to step back and regroup. Um, I don't get the sense that they're going to take humiliation just, you know, as, you know, par for the course, we'll go home now. So um, still kind of a frightening time. And in Ukraine, they're getting ready. Well, we eventually get to this location and it wasn't our wasn't our primary objective, but because of the checkpoints, because of traffic, because of delays, if we didn't get in and get out, then we were going to be stuck in there. And, um, and eventually, like, Lord, give us direction. And we were told about this school that had been turned into a refugee camp. And um, we go, and there are about 150 people there, women and children, and then they're associated with several others as well. And initially... You know, we bring in, just take what you can carry. We're going to deliver some goods here. We'll take the rest of it further in. And what we brought was so, so small. And finally uh, made the decision, we're, we're just going to give them what we have. And it uh, seemed like a divine appointment. So here you have a classroom that's been turned into, you know, kind of a dormitory. And I'm going to go through quickly and just show you, you know, the type of people we're meeting. Here's a very young mother. Uh, taking care of an infant. There's there's children who, you know, they're sweet, but but imagine what they've seen. They have been relocated from areas that have been destroyed, bombed, uh, so they've lost everything, and now they have come to this place, and they're hoping they can actually get to Poland or somewhere else. And um, it, it was haunting to me. You know, I'm, I'm a dad, and you're looking at people that their whole lives have been turned upside down, uh, so you see these people, again, just children and kind of a, a sense of innocence, and they need help. Um, they need the gospel, but they, they need help. And I had the sense that what we were doing was so inadequate. But for the 150 people that live in that place, it was help. And we can't, we can't help everybody, but we can do what we can do. And now you know, try to encourage other people to contribute as well. So there's an idea of what we're doing um, in the middle and in the back, you see BMW workers, but these, these are the caretakers uh, who are trying to feed and take care of them. You see in the back, all the yellow provisions, you know, they're, they're going to be okay for a while. It was, it was an aid to them. And um, not a ton. You know, I think we, we spent uh, $5,000 to get them some food that we could, and we got them some medical care, and it was small. But it's a start, and we believe that we can um, kind of improve our logistics and do a lot more in the future, but, uh, but we need financial help in that as well. And we're praying. This morning I kept mentioning the, the South Pacific. Indonesia has been a target for BMW. Uh, for the last you know several years, and now we're we've been praying for twenty missionary units, and and now we're seeing that fulfilled, and we really feel like, especially this time in history, this part of the world is so open, so needy, and we're praying not just for temporary supplies, but we're praying for laborers to go into this place and um, and surrounding areas and and do long term work. So we're praying that the Lord will um, send to Eastern Europe a, a new movement of people. And please join me in praying for that as well. Let me see. Yeah, before I get to that, let, let's go ahead and um, 
roll that second video. This one, I'm, I'm covered in white dust because we just have unloaded all of this stuff. And I was asked to just record a video that eventually I think the mission's going to edit and, and use. But it was, it was such a moving time. I'm not sure you'll even be able to understand because I um, kind of broke down. It, it was a lot. It was a lot. So let's roll this and we're just about done. Yeah, I'm sorry, that wasn't clear, um, but you get the idea. The needs are great, the opportunities are great. And go ahead and end with a verse that is kind of on my mind, uh, back on the PowerPoint. Hebrews 13 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. That's empathy. You remember them as though you were there. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. You know, the Bible says to, to remember people like that, or, or Jesus' teaching, you know, when, when you have uh, visited those in prison, you're visiting him. I, I feel like conservative Christians are so afraid of social gospel who has taken that and made it the heart of Christianity that, that we're almost afraid of doing that kind of positive action to help people. You know, the heart of Christianity is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's Christianity. But Christianity has been in Scripture and throughout history has been very active in helping those in need. 
most of the passages in the New Testament that talk about offerings are collecting offerings to send like back to Jerusalem or Judea in their time of famine or time of distress. This isn't liberalism. This is, this is just generous, Christ-like uh, activity for the advance of the gospel. So I would urge you, you know, as, as you have opportunity, pray for this, um, give, and you say, man, I can't give very much, yet, but, but the little bit that all of us give helps. I, I compare uh, giving in the church sometimes to baseball. You know, we might not have many home run hitters. It's just everybody hit a single. We will, we will just keep knocking out singles, playing small ball. And, and God, do, God does his work through average people like us. So that's a presentation of what's happening. And um, the hour is just about up. But for a few minutes, I could take questions about that. Um, about something I said this morning. Of course, we can talk more tonight as we uh, fellowship together as well. Do you have any questions or comments? I don't pretend to be an expert on that part of the world. Um, I'm, no, I'm, I'm no military strategist. You know, I, I know you've you just heard the, the limit of what I know. Um, but I at least can try to, um, to rally people to be more interested in this. And, and there are avenues for you to help in a gospel-centered way. Yes? At that particular school, we weren't. You know, our expectation was that we were going to, to meet fellow Christians. Um, we talked with a group from TMAI about publishing Bibles, and you can publish a New Testament <coughs> in Ukraine for about $3. So we're working to get more materials printed, and then just to have a presence like, all right, now, that was a good beginning. We need to get back there and and have people come in and do Bible teaching, have evangelistic services at that place. And frankly, we've kind of, we've kind of earned the right to go in there and say, now we'd like to have a meeting and just share with you, why are we doing this and give them the gospel? But, but candidly, that, that wasn't really a gospel uh, focus at this time. And we're aware of that, and it, and it should be. You know, in the future, it will be. Great question. Yes. You know, I've asked a few people that I that I know that have uh, history in Russia, like our president. I actually um, have a good friend that he's an American soldier who was in Germany um, during the Cold War. And then became an astronaut, and he's worked for the last 20-plus years with Russians. And uh, he learned Russian, and he's on the International Space Station with Russians, and now he actually is retiring from NASA to help a Russian-speaking church. And I asked him, what's the Russian mentality? And I think outside of Russia, there is generally just Russia's wrong. And uh, even, even you know those who are coming from Russia... Um, expats are, are condemning this. But I, I get the sense that in Russia, I'm not sure of the church, but in Russia, the, the populace, I think the, um, the general mindset is, you know, they're rallying behind uh, Putin and they feel like this is justified and the Ukrainians are wicked and need to be, you know, they're the cancer that needs to be excised. And I, I think Russia in general, the propaganda is, you know, functioning well. That the the little bit that I can tell from conversations I've had, but again, I I don't don't know a lot. Yes. Uh, historically, we've sent Americans to plant churches in the foreign fields. 
board, we bring brought nationals back to Christian colleges and train them to have them go back home. But it seems that recently now we've been sending our folks over for Bible institutes or uh, your colleges I think it's uh, the most exciting things happening in missions uh, from my perspective are you know a friend of mine Phil Hunt has a Bible college and seminary in Zambia treat uh, he's training nationals you know we used to bring them to America but often you would have brain drain and they, they don't want to go back uh, or they go back and they're 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 not accepted in the same way, or that's expected. You can now help us because you know the rich Americans. Um, it's happening there. I shared uh, with the brother this morning. I'm helping a ministry in India, and it's training nationals. The whole goal of missions is never to have an American pastor stay somewhere for 30 years. You know his job. Remember when I talked about where I plant a church and then get out of the way, and and it should outlive me. That's even more important in missions. The best people to reach the Ukrainians are the Ukrainians. The best people to reach Ghanaians are Ghanaians, and so on. And I think, you know, where we have Christian nationals, there are many Christians, especially in third world countries, what they're lacking is Bible training. And, and what we can give them is, is thorough Bible training, good hermeneutics, you know, good, this is, this is how you interpret Scripture. There's, I'm, I'm associated, one of our BMW missionaries, is with a group called National Theological College Graduate School. They have three locations, I guess four now, but three in the Middle East. They have locations in Jordan, in Lebanon, and in Egypt, right in the heart of the Middle East, and they're training nationals from all over that part of the world to go out and church plant evangelists. I, I, think, I think it's tremendously effective. I'm, I'm not always sure that spending a lot of American dollars to support nationals is a great thing, because we, we really want them to be indigenous and self-supporting, self-sustaining. But to train them rather than trying to do it ourselves, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, I think it's a healthy thing. Great question. You all are looking hungry. All right, yes, a couple more questions. Next plan for Ukraine, I think we need to debrief, you know, first we need to recover and then um, debrief like wh what do we do next? The day after we went in, another shipment was going in. There, there is plenty to be done. But I do think, you know, just in God's providence, again, one of the guys who went has a shipping company that, that works in the United States, and they get logistics. I think we can do better. Uh, we need to raise financial support. We need to raise logistical support. And then we need to make sure that, okay, now, now if we're going in there, there needs to be a gospel component to this as well. And ideally, I think healthy missions, when you're doing a relief work, medical work, instead of just coming to a community and just dropping. I think it's best if you can target, here's a Christian church. We're going to do medical missions through that church. So we actually have an active, long-term presence there. And, you know, this was just kind of drop and run. And now we need to go back. Okay, but I, I think the next thing is we need to strategize, plan, turn all of this video and pictures into something that is a little bit uh, more polished, and then shout from the house stops, you know, help us. And if it's not financially, maybe some people like help us. Maybe the Lord would call you to, to actually go be, be a long-term part of the solution. Great question. Any other questions? Yes. When you went in, uh, did you know you were going to that school? Was that your just Our intention was to go deeper into Ukraine. Um, now, I didn't even mention when we left. We have a video. We, we're leaving.
and we hear these air raid sirens. And we're like, you know, is that, it's certainly not tornadoes. Is that a test? Is it? And while we were there, we hear air raid sirens. And Russia fired on the village where we were called Lviv. And all of those um, rockets were taken out. But rockets were also, they hit, and, and there were massive casualties about 30 minutes away. Um, so we didn't intend to go there. I think you know, providentially the Lord kind of redirected us. And candidly, the way the trip was going, had we gone further in, I'm not sure we would have gotten out in a timely fashion. So, um, so it was right that we went to that school, kind of a divine appointment. And now we're praying that the Lord will break fruit from that. But, you know, the trips like that, you, you plan and then you adjust. And, uh, and, you know, we were able to do that. So um, exciting time. You know, it wasn't uh, just, it wasn't a photo op. It wasn't just, you know, tornado chasing, um, you know, trying to do something stupid for the sake of adrenaline. It was a chance for us to let's get let's get eyes on this, strategize, meet with a network of people, and now um, all of that is useless if we don't get back and and say now let's let's get to work, and um, you know just pray with us and to the degree that you can be a help that would be a great thing. All right, we'll stop there. One, one more. One. To the Ukraine project. If you go to um, you know do a search for. Uh, it's bmw.org. No, it's not bmw.org. Biblicalministries.org. And uh, if you if you look for biblical ministries worldwide on our homepage, there will be a Ukraine site that talks about it, and you can give there. All right. And um, when I said, you know, it might have sounded a little bit smug, but when I said you can trust us, you know, you, we all know like when people were giving to Haiti, uh, just a pittance of the monies were actually getting there. And um, the monies that are given here are going to help people. And, um, and you know, we're honestly, we're still working this out on, on how can we make sure that we're doing gospel work, even as we're doing relief work. Uh, but the needs are urgent on both sides. You know, one, one thing that the, the group um, in Germany is praying for, they, they have seminary trained Ukrainians <coughs> who could do full-time evangelistic work in some of these places. But they need financial support to do that, at least on short term. So we're coming back saying, all right, besides the aid, you know, we're going to try to raise $150,000 so that several people can just be supported to go in. And, you know, you put me in the middle of a, of a refugee village in Poland, I'm, I'm useless. You know, I'm worse than useless. I'm just taking their food. Um, but you put a Ukrainian Christian in there who has seminary training, he, he could do some great work. So we're trying to raise funds for that as well. So there's a lot of things kind of multifaceted. And if it sounds like, you know, we're, we're not, we don't quite have our head wrapped around it. Yeah, that's probably accurate. Um, the fact that we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. And um, what, what we need is not just one person to do massive things. We need a lot of people to do a little bit and then just pray for God to, to work during this trying time. All right. All right. We could talk more uh, at the fellowship as well. Uh, thank you for listening, and, and certainly, Pastor, lead us uh, at least in a closing word of prayer and asking God to improve on our efforts and save us from doing stupid things and help us. All right, thank you.